Now we march into the third month of the year, having leapt to our heart's content in the previous 24-hour period. This is the March 1st, 2024 edition of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a newsletter and podcast that can now also be heard on the radio every Saturday morning at 6 a.m. on WTJU 91.1 FM in Charlottesville. I'm Sean Tubbs. Glad to be able to do this. On today's program, there's another delay in the completion of the $38 million Belmont Bridge. Several speakers ask for adjustments in Albemarle County's fiscal year 2025 budget. And a group of University of Virginia students suggest reform of the way Charlottesville uses one pot of federal funding. In today's first subscriber-supported public service announcement, the Rivanna Conservation Alliance has planned field trips this spring for sixth graders in Albemarle County, where they will learn how to monitor water quality in area streams and waterways, but they need volunteers to help make it happen. So they are recruiting volunteers to work with RCA staff and lead students through a range of activities, including benthic macroinvertebrate sampling, water quality testing, and fun watershed-related games. RCA will provide training prior to the field trips, and new volunteers will be paired with more experienced volunteers or staff. Do you know someone who would be interested in volunteering? Help them spread the word. More information is available on their website at rivanariver.org. Several people spoke Wednesday night at the first public hearing on Albemarle County's recommended $629 million budget for fiscal year 2025. But first, County Executive Jeffrey Richardson gave a brief recap. The theme for this year is really to continue to build momentum with what we began in fiscal year 24. Budgeting in Albemarle is built on a strategic plan adopted by the Board of Supervisors in October of 2022. For a further recap, there is a story on Information Charlottesville, InfoSeville.com. The first speaker thanked the board for previous funding for the Virginia Cooperative Extension and asked supervisors to consider more support than Richardson is recommending in the fiscal year 25 budget. The agency had requested $283,352 to add a full-time staff member to coordinate 4-H activities, but the draft budget recommends 256902 Here is Heather Farr. With 4-H participation at its highest level in the 20 years, it is evident that our community is looking for what 4-H has to offer. However, sustaining and expanding these invaluable programs that are free to anyone requires resources, and that's where your resources, your support becomes pivotal. The next speaker was Dan Rosenzweig, the CEO of Habitat for Humanity of Greater Charlottesville. He began by thanking Albemarle for their partnership in developing the Southwood Mobile Home Park. This $500 million national model redevelopment without displacement has a long way to go, but thus far exceeding our expectations as well as your own benchmarks. Uh, Nationally, in similar redevelopment projects, only 11% of residents return. At Southwood, the second group of families, or the first group that's after the early adopters, uh, have made their choices and a staggering 85% of families are staying. Habitat has a performance agreement with Albemarle County to govern the various incentives, such as tax rebates and cash contributions. 
Rosenzweig said the first requirement required Habitat to deliver 155 affordable units. In fact, we're delivering 215. However, Rosenzweig said it is time for the county to enter into a new performance agreement for the second phase of development, which will see construction within the existing mobile home park rather than the adjacent property. One acronym alert here, DEQ, is the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality. Uh, in anticipation of that, and given the severe health and safety issues resulting from failing septic systems, Habitat has spent more than $3 million remediating and clearing the first section of phase two. More than a 12-acre parcel is now clean. That's the good news. It's pristine, as warranted by the DEQ. Uh, but the tough part is that for us as a nonprofit, this has created extreme cash flow challenges really extreme cash flow challenges. Rosenzweig said this will delay the project and may cause some residents to relocate twice. He did not specify a dollar amount. After he spoke, several residents also appealed for funding. Gustavo Espinosa is an organizer with the Legal Aid Justice Center and worked to connect Albemarle County residents with rent relief programs during the pandemic. He thanked the county for launching a local financial assistance program, but asked for more support. $260,000 is not enough. It wasn't enough this year. Already we're having to, to we're seeing that there's less money that's being given. Um, and just from how many evictions there are, there's 1,430, sorry, 1,330 cases filed last year. So that's four a day. And these evictions are across Albemarle County. When the public hearing was concluded, audience members and the board got an update on where the process goes next. Here is Jacob Sumner, Albemarle's chief financial officer. Uh, in April, we'll move towards our, our public hearings on the tax rate and on the budget itself. And finally, we'll look to uh, May 1st for uh, appropriation uh, and adoption of the budget. The first work session on March 6th will go through the general fund budget. On March 11th, the focus will be a joint session with the school board. And this is when the, the public schools will, will provide their, uh, their recommendation or their request, excuse me, uh, uh, to, the, to the board. Uh, at the end uh, of that uh, conversation, we'll then wrap up the items that we had planned to finish for the general fund. The third work session on March 13th will focus on the capital improvement program and the debt service required to pay off bond proceeds that pay for infrastructure. Details on other work sessions in upcoming editions of the Week Ahead newsletter. Check it out on Sunday. Should have it on my calendar. There's a new chapter in the long-running saga of Charlottesville's replacement of the Belmont Bridge, According to a status report developed by city staff, the $38 million project was expected to be completed in January. However, contractor Kimley Horn was awarded an emergency contract on February 9th for bridge construction services, engineering, and inspection. According to a justification submitted on that day, the work is needed for public safety purposes. If the contract is not extended, demobilization will occur, which will include removing protective barriers on the bridge. The first concern is the considerable area of fall hazards in the vicinity of pedestrian routes and public gathering areas. The notice goes on to say that under the new contract, new barriers will be put in place and onlooker activity will be monitored as the project nears completion.
The pavilion and nearby mall are frequented by gatherings of small children to whom an unsecured construction site presents an attractive nuisance and dangerous environment. The new bridge is the third structure to span the railroad tracks, with the second one having been completed in the early 1960s. In September 2003, former Mayor Maurice Cox suggested it would be better to replace the bridge with something more pedestrian-friendly. For several years, staff pursued a plan to repair the bridge, but conditions had deteriorated by April 2009 when City Council agreed to proceed with a replacement. At that time, Council selected MMM Design to develop the bridge, and the project had a cost estimate of $9 million. A public process kicked off in November of 2010, but in early 2012, filmmaker and Belmont resident Brian Weimer began a public campaign to challenge the need for a bridge. The University of Virginia School of Architecture had a school-wide project to come up with alternatives, and the winning competition imagined no bridge at all. The now-defunct Place Design Task Force recommended the city study the option of an underpass, adding additional cost to the project. In July of 2014, Council selected a replacement bridge anyway, but one with an enhanced pedestrian experience. However, a few months later, MMM Design went out of business, and the project went dormant again while the bridge continued to deteriorate. In December 2016, Kimley Horn was hired to begin the process again. In August 2020, the project had a cost estimate of $31 million. Council agreed to $5 million in capital funding in the adopted fiscal year 2021 budget to make up some of the difference and $2.5 million in the adopted fiscal year 22 budget. The project is among several managed by the city of Charlottesville that are behind schedule. Three projects funded by the Virginia Department of Transportation in the first smart scale round back in 2016 have not yet gone to construction and are still in the engineering right of way and design phase. The East High Streetscape is now expected to be completed in December 2025. Both the Fontaine Avenue Streetscape and the Emmett Streetscape are expected to be completed in April of 2026. This story was generated by a routine check of recent procurement activities. Here are some other recent contract awards made by the City of Charlottesville, as well as an open bid. Contractors interested in purchasing and installing a specific type of restroom at the city's Riverview Park have until March 4th to submit their bid. The model to be installed is a Smith Midland Easy Set Sierra Flush Precast Restroom. The selected contractor also has to prepare the site, but the city will purchase the drinking fountain. On February 2nd, the city awarded a contract to Waste Management of Virginia to handle citywide dumpster services. On February 14th, the city awarded a contract to C&G Paving Incorporated for construction and repair services related to pathways, trails, courts, parking areas, and other surfaces throughout city parks and city-managed trail corridors. Bids closed on February 23rd for a firm to have an on-call contract for asbestos abatement services on an as-needed basis. More of these as time Keeps moving on. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. And in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, 
Are you or someone you know a teacher who is looking for a new way to teach environmental science, history, modern methods of exploration, and history? Located in Dardentau Park along the Rivanna River, the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center has three open houses coming up where educators can find out what services the nonprofit offers to public, private, and homeschool teachers. During the open house events, educators can participate in hands-on activities and talk with experienced guides about program choices, cost, and scholarships. The next free tour is coming up on March 15th and will include the river trails and outdoor classroom. Visit the Lewis and Clark Exploratory Center's Eventbrite page to learn more. Teachers can also email lcecvirginia at gmail.com for help with registration. One more story to go today, and this is a long one that comes from the February 20th, 2024 City Council meeting and the second of three work sessions at that event. A group of students at the University of Virginia working with the Public Housing Association of Residents has put together recommendations for how the city could better use its allocation of funds from the Community Development Block Grant Program offered by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. Here is one of those students, Talib Kante. In 2022, 226 people in the Charlottesville area experienced some form of homelessness. This is the highest number Charlottesville has seen since 2010. Yet it's not just the unhoused folk who are experiencing these difficulties. Many residents are facing food insecurity, and since the pandemic, the number of people requiring access to free food from soup kitchens and uh, pantries has risen sharply. Conte said members of the Charlottesville community want local government to address poverty, and he and his colleagues felt reform of how the city uses federal funding could bring about more efficiency. He said his group was contacted by a top official at the Public Housing Association of Residents to do research on their behalf. CRHA stands for the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. Joy Johnson of FAR has brought to our attention her concerns with the Community Development Block Grant and the need to reallocate these funds. We've spoken to other people like Todd Nimier from HRC and Mr. John Sales from CRHA, who have also added meaningful insights to our work. In addition to being a CRHA resident, Johnson is also employed as the Section 3 coordinator for the CRHA a position intended to train public housing residents with employment opportunities and skills. Johnson and Sales are both members of the city's Housing Advisory Committee, with Johnson being a beneficiary of affordable housing. She's also the HACS chair. Community development block grants date back to 1974 through the Housing and Community Development Act of that year. The bill was intended to place more decisions in the hands of local officials who would be better positioned to decide what projects should be funded. Here is the second speaker, Abba Kodiaga. The CDBG program emphasizes residents' participation in decision-making and to empower individuals to address their specific needs. As Joy often says, um, CDBG, CDBG money is poor people's money, which is why at least 70% of the CDBG funds should be used to benefit low and moderate income communities. Those are specific terms. Low income is generally defined as around 50% of the area median income, and moderate is 80%. 
Kodianga said the funding should be used exclusively to benefit individuals and households with extremely low or very low incomes. The third speaker said the group worked closely with Johnson to review how funding has been spent over the years. Here's information from the current year from Laura Kun. The 2023-2024 allocation for community development block grants was around $410,000. The breakdown we have found on CDBG and city documents states that 15% of that budget goes towards public services, 20% goes towards administration and planning, and the remaining 65% is split evenly among the categories of housing, public facilities slash improvements, and economic development. Kun said the group was most concerned with the 20% that went to what they described as administration. She said that money could go towards hiring members of the community to write grants, provide child care for task force members, and training for the task force. This 20% would ideally be used to maximize community involvement in some way, rather than going towards a salary of just one or two individuals. While the presentation to council broke down funding into categories, the presentation did not include the specific recommendations for fiscal year 23 and fiscal year 24 approved by council on May 1st, 2023, which includes $40,000 for FAR for their resident-centered development initiative. According to the minutes from the May 1st, 2023 meeting, this is listed under community services. Under Economic Development, the Community Investment Collaborative received $25,000 for their Microenterprise Entrepreneur Program. Literacy Volunteers of Charlottesville-Albemarle received $64,477.89 for a program called Beginning Level Workforce Development Program. Under Housing, the Albemarle Housing Improvement Program received $40,000 for their Critical Rehab Program. The Haven at First and Market Street received $45,000. Under Programmatic Funds, $82,093.60 went to Planning and Administration. Another $89,896.51 went to help fund the City Council's priority area for public facilities and improvements. The fourth speaker critiqued the lack of training for previous task force members. A slide presented said two questionable uses of the funds were $74,000 in August 2022 for smoke detectors, as well as $245,000 for a sidewalk project in the Ridge Street neighborhood. These examples that are shown on the slide are examples of ways that CDBG funds have been used to fund things that could have otherwise been funded by the capital budget or things that failed to achieve the goal of benefiting low to moderate income level residents. What the presenters didn't mention is that the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development has specific rules on spending money within a certain time period. As I reported in February of 2022, the funding for the fire safety project had originally been recommended by the task force for a sidewalk on Franklin Street in Belmont, which at the time was approved by council as being a priority neighborhood, but was later canceled in December of 2021. The Ridge Street project was recommended by a task force and approved by council in March of 2021, as I reported at the time. Here's the fourth speaker again. And we think it must be analyzed whether or not this was one of the most pressing issues at the time and whether it deserved over half of the CDBG budget. Around that time, there was a public campaign for council to address safety issues on Fifth Street Extended, which extends south from the terminus of Ridge Street. The improvements at Ridge Street had been intended to be part of a series of projects designed to reduce fatalities. For the sake of expediency, there are two stories I wrote around that time that can provide context. Here are the headlines. Petition seeks changes to 5th Street to prevent further crashes, November 11, 2020. 
Council briefed on ways to slow down 5th Street Extended, November 17, 2020. The next speaker called upon Council to limit spending to programs that only benefit those with very low or extremely low incomes. Here's Justin Gabrielle. Home repairs, for instance, uh, are an important projects that we think the city should probably prioritize. Again, the fiscal year 23, fiscal year 24 allocation included $40,000 for Albemarle Home Improvement Program's critical rehab program. That information was not presented to Council. Gabrielle said CDBG funding should also not be used for parks, sidewalks, street repairs, and public works. Students also critiqued the way priority neighborhoods are selected and chosen, as well as how task force members are selected. Mayor Juan Diego Wade agreed that task force members could use more training. I was a member as a school board rep for many years, and I had some experience because I was I have a planning background, but a lot of the things we were just kind of thrown into, so I, I'm, that was a few years ago, so I think it sounds like more training still could be um, needed. City Councilor Michael Payne had been the lone vote against the use of funds for fire safety. He said some reforms have already been made. I think we've made some changes internally that are preventing that from happening again, hopefully. Councillor Lloyd Snook pointed out that the closed session scheduled after the February 20th, 2024 work session was for boards and commissions. We're supposed to be appointing CDBG task force members. (laughs) There are, in fact, three vacancies, but we have no applications for them. Snook also said sidewalks are an important issue for many, and previous allocations reflect public input and also represent an alternate way to get them built in a city that has struggled with sidewalk prioritization and construction. And so when we end up using CDBG funding for sidewalks, it is because the neighbors there have said that's important to us. And so, in a sense, the CDBG funding for, uh, for, for sidewalks is sort of the, the relief valve, if you, if you will. It's, it's the other way that, that neighborhood priorities can get funded. Snook said that's consistent with the purpose of the enabling legislation from 1974 for the Community Development Block Grant Program. However, City Councilor Natalie Oshrin said when people who live and work in the city become less dependent on using their cars, the CDBG money will be irrelevant. As we move further into uh, more consciousness about um, changing our culture from being a car-driven culture to a bike-ped-bus culture, we'll be able to spend more on sidewalks and other projects so that we don't need that relief valve. For a quick moment, let's go back to the same status update that showed us that the Belmont Bridge project is delayed. For the rezoning of 240 Stribling in the Fry Spring neighborhood, council required the development of a sidewalk to come first, and the developer, Southern Development, agreed to pay a loan into that project. The status update shows that there is no current date for when that can be expected to be built. In any case, that's the end of the show. As I said, that is the end of number 642. This newsletter and podcast may be over, but the research will live on. I find it very odd to still be writing about projects I was writing about back in 2007. 
and to have been able to do this thanks to a combination of philanthropy, dedication, and perhaps insanity. I do know that this is the work I want to do, and I am grateful for paid subscriptions. The intent of all of this is to inform the conversation by providing more context on what actually happens and what happened. Civilizations are complex, and I am very suspicious of simple narratives. Yet I'm also aware that clear communications are necessary, so I try to be as efficient as possible. If you are not a paid subscriber yet, your initial payment would be very efficient indeed, as Ting will match it, providing a little bit more fuel for my insanity. Thank you very much for listening. That is the end of the show. Don't forget WTJU at 6 a.m. tomorrow. You might hear some of these same stories again. In the meantime, the week ahead is going to come out on Sunday. And very much goodbye and thank you. Thank you.